American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, help others find it by sharing this episode and giving us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today, we're talking about Servant of God, Mary Virginia Merrick. She was born into wealth and was the descendant of some of the original Maryland Catholic families. In spite of suffering a paralyzing accident, she founded one of the most significant charitable organizations in our nation's history. Her remarkable story can really make you wonder, okay, so what's my excuse for not accomplishing great things? That's true, but she wouldn't see it that way. She didn't set out to accomplish great things, but as she would say, she set out to see a need and to fill it. So she was simply filling needs that she saw. Right. She started her work a few decades before St. Therese of Lisieux was born, but she took the same approach as the little flower. Just do all of the little things with great love and let God take care of the rest. And by being faithful to what God put in her heart to do, great things were accomplished. Boy, howdy, I'd say so. And like you said, this was in spite of being paralyzed and in pain for most of her life. So let's go back to the beginning of her life and give some details. She was born in Washington, D.C. on November 2nd, 1866. So about a year and a half after the Civil War ended and President Lincoln was assassinated. She was the second oldest of seven children and her parents were very well-to-do. Her father, Richard Merrick, was a very influential and well-respected attorney. He helped to found the law school at Georgetown and successfully defended George Surratt from charges of being involved in President Lincoln's assassination. In his family line, Merrick was descended from both the Calvert and the Brent families. And if those names don't ring a bell, you need to go back and listen to episode 9 of this podcast about Margaret Brent. A quick recap. Margaret Brent and three of her siblings were among the earliest settlers to come to the new Maryland colony in the 1630s. Margaret eventually was the largest landowner in the colonies and was the first woman to represent herself in legal proceedings in the colonies. The first governor of Maryland was Leonard Calvert, the younger brother of Cecil Calvert, who was granted the royal charter for the colony by King Charles I. All of these persons were Catholic, and Maryland, of course, was established to be a Catholic haven in the New World. Do yourself a favor and go back and listen to episode 9. Seriously, Margaret Brent was an amazing woman. And again, Richard Merrick was descended from both of those families. So as far as people doing great things, it seems the apple didn't fall far from the tree down through the generations. Richard's wife and Mary Merrick's mother, was Nanny McGuire, and though she wasn't Catholic at the time of their marriage, she did eventually become Catholic. She also came from money. Her father was instrumental in establishing the first art gallery in Washington, D.C., the Corcoran, which, until it dissolved in 2014, was just a block from the White House. So again, it's no exaggeration to say that Mary Virginia Merrick and her siblings were born into the lap of luxury. But their parents didn't let their children delight in material pleasures or forget the providence of God. They were raised saying their prayers, observing all religious ritual and practice, and doing works of charity to help those less fortunate than they were. 
Another influence on her were the Sisters of Charity. Mary would wait to see them enter St. Patrick's Church, the first Catholic church in the city of Washington, and she loved watching them process down the aisle two by two. The sisters ran an orphanage in the city, so naturally this inspired Mary to build an orphanage for her dolls when she was playing at home. She told her parents that she intended to become a nun. Her father playfully told her not to say that because he couldn't live without her. Later in life, Mary wrote in her diary that she took her father's words seriously and was struck by them. But, she says, I went to bed carrying my little chair, thinking that if the Lord wanted me, my father would just have to let me go anyhow. And when she received her first communion at 12 years old, she solemnly resolved to serve our Lord in the poor. To her, this very much meant becoming a sister of charity so she could take care of all the children who had no one else to take care of them. As far as she was concerned, it was only a matter of time before she entered the convent. But Providence had a different path for her. Very much so. When she was 14 years old, she fell from the window seat of a playhouse and suffered an injury to her spine. Absent more advanced medicine, this injury turned into Pott's disease within three years. Pott's disease, essentially, is a tuberculosis infection somewhere in the body apart from the lungs. This infection was incredibly painful, and it slowly caused paralysis to spread to different parts of her body, including her legs and eventually her upper torso and neck. Soon, she was unable even to lift her own head. She was forced to spend the rest of her life in a bed, a reclined wheelchair, or in a large iron contraption with leather slings and straps to keep her body and head upright. Within a year of this disheartening diagnosis, both of her parents died. But Mary did not let the pain of her body, nor of her heart, stop her resolve to help others. No. In spite of knowing that she would never again be able to run around and play with her siblings or her beloved orphans, she managed to overcome temptations to self-pity. She wrote in her diary, what shall I do with this great yearning for sympathy which possesses me? Shall I allow it to embitter me? No, I shall give it to him, glad that I pray for it and want it, that I thusly may have somewhat more to give up to him, then turn and give sympathy generously to all around me. She intentionally turned her desire for sympathy into an engine to have greater sympathy and compassion on those around her. Wonderful passage from her autobiography reads, I never doubted the love of the Father, but my spirit rebelled at the thought that I would be useless in his vineyard. I strove to serve as best I could. I resolved to do something every day for the Christ child. The first manifestation of this determination to turn her tragedy into energy to do good things for those around her happened at the end of 1883. The family had hired a boy named Paul to be near Mary and run errands for her. In their conversation, she asked Paul what he wanted for Christmas. A red wagon, he replied. But then he added, But we're not having any Christmas at our house. My father's got no work. Mary suggested to him that he write a letter to the Christ child and ask him for the red wagon. Paul asked, Who's he? And Mary replied, The giver of all good gifts. A few days later, Paul brought his letter with him, and not only his, but more than a dozen others from his siblings and playmates in the neighborhood. Now a promise made is a promise kept, so Mary drew her sisters and friends together, and they made sure that each and every one of those requests was honored, and the carefully wrapped packages were all labeled, From the Christ Child. And thus was the very beginning of the Christ Child Society. 
The following year, 1884, Mary and her band of helpers caught wind of an expectant mother whose husband was ill and could not work. Mary and company organized themselves into a sewing circle and put together a layette for the mother, complete with every bit of clothing that the new baby would need. In gratitude, the newborn daughter was named Mary. And things kind of began to snowball from there. The need for layettes and Christ Child Christmas letters was so great, and Mary could not stand to see any of these needs go unfilled. So she forged alliances, recruited more help, and eventually organized the work into a more formal arrangement, establishing the Christ Child Society in 1887. In 1890, the Christ Child Society became a legal entity within Washington, D.C., and the first annual report of the society was published. In it, the object of the society is stated as to clothe children under the age of 12 years whose parents were unable to do so and to give to the little ones a happy Christmas. Membership in the society required an annual offering and money for the accomplishment of the work proposed and the manufacture or making of as many garments by members as time and circumstances will permit. And boy, did their work expand in short order. In 1890, the society produced and distributed 390 individual garments, 12 complete layouts, and they responded to 250 Christ Child Christmas letters. Just incredible growth. And remember, the 24-year-old woman behind all of this couldn't even lift her own head, let alone walk. But she could pray, and she could do what was given to her to do, and she could do it all, no matter how small, with great love. And I feel very convicted right about now. All the little annoyances that I allow to get my hackles up. Thank God for the opportunity to improve. Anyhow, enough about my struggles with patience and pride. Oh, I think you're not alone there. Yeah, maybe not. The following year, 1891, another of the Society's great works of mercy was launched, the Fresh Air Program. This program brought children who lived in adverse conditions in the city out to the countryside for two weeks in the summer. Some of the children had health conditions that were made worse by the conditions in the city. Others had home lives that were less than optimal, and their parents couldn't afford to send them somewhere nice. The Christ Child Society would rent cottages and give the children a nice time away every summer. The society continued to grow, and within a few years, additional services included home visits to those families who had received layettes and other assistance to see what else the family needed and if the society could provide even more assistance. By 1898, the society had grown to 352 members in the city of Washington. That year, they distributed 2,200 layettes, 300 Christmas gifts, and brought 30 children out for the Fresh Air program. Within the next few years, a sewing school was established and the headquarters and main center for the society's activities were moved away from the Merrick home to another location in town. This center and others that sprang up around the city of Washington also included libraries and music classes. Eventually, libraries were also established in prisons and in tuberculosis hospitals. Beginning in 1904, chapters in other cities began to appear. The first was in Baltimore, and by 1908, chapters were also established in New York, New York, Omaha, Nebraska, Worcester, Massachusetts, Chicago, Illinois, Toledo, Ohio, and Ellicott City, Maryland. The growth continued as more chapters were established all across the country, and the Fresh Air program grew into a regular camp requiring a more permanent location. 
A farm was purchased in Silver Spring in rural Maryland, just north of Washington in 1914, because back then the area around Silver Spring was rural, and that's just unimaginable. The following year, 1915, marked 25 years since the Christ Child Society became an official organization, and Mary was awarded the Leitari Medal by the University of Notre Dame. Reflecting on these first 25 years, Mary wrote, The work of these years, running like a golden thread from its first beginning to the present time, shows the same spirit of love for the Christ child which gave birth to the society and still actuates its members in their devoted work for Christ and his needy little ones. And the beat just went on. More growth nationwide. More programs of various sorts targeted at filling needs. Through all this growth, Mary was still the leading lady, making things happen from her bed, couch, or wheelchair. In 1937, in recognition of 50 years of the Christ Child Society, Pope Pius XI bestowed upon Mary Virginia Merrick the Pro Ecclesia at Pontifice Medal. And the Christ Child Society wasn't all that she did. She also wrote three books for children, The Life of Christ, published in 1908, Come Unto Me, Prayers Before and After Communion, published in 1915, and a book on the Mass called The Altar of God. She also published a series of fictional tales called Marjorie Stories, and wrote a regular column for children called Aunt Kate Letters, which was published in a Catholic publication. And to reemphasize this point, Mary wasn't motivated to do any of this by grand plans of any sort. She was motivated by love of Christ and a desire to see every child as the Christ child. She strove to treat every child as she would the Christ child. Right. She wasn't setting out with grand social justice plans, but great social justice good came about because she perceived the call of God in her life and she pursued it. In one place she wrote, Do not consider that in order to be great, either in the eyes of men or of God, it is necessary to do great deeds. It is an error to do well the little duties of everyday life, to perform well the duties of your station, is to be great. It is the noblest task of man, for it is the fulfillment of the law of God. It is as if it were we who are helping him in bringing forth with our effort his eternal designs with regard to the world. And here's a quote for you regarding patience, she wrote. Our dear Lord suffered that he might thereby leave me an example of patience. I make his example not by impatience. Yeah, especially in traffic. (laughs) Yeah. But seriously, she couldn't move herself. She couldn't go from place to place to put her plans in motion. She didn't have a telephone, at least not during the decades when she was getting all this going. She didn't have the internet or email. She had errand boys who could take messages for her, and then she could do nothing but wait for people to come to her or act at her behest. And even with that severe limitation, she founded an organization that has done so much good for well over a century. And they do continue to do great good. According to the Society's website, nowadays the Christ Child Society has 45 chapters across the U.S., with a few in other countries, numbering 5,500 members. On a yearly basis, these chapters do more than 400,000 hours of volunteer work and spend more than $4 million on programs for more than 78,000 children and their families. 
One key element of their charity remains the layettes for newborns, often still handmade, or at least containing a number of handmade parts like hats, sweaters, and afghans. On an annual basis, the chapters give out 23,000 such layettes. Mary Virginia Merrick continued to lead the national organization until illness forced her to resign in 1948. She was 82 years old and had been paralyzed and in pain for 65 years. But she remained head of the Washington, D.C. area Christ Child Society until her death seven years later in 1955. Mary Virginia Merrick, or Miss Mary as everyone knew her, spent the last years of her life living at her sister Mildred's house in Chevy Chase, Maryland. She attended Mass daily and was very recognizable as she was wheeled down the street every day to church. She died of a cerebral hemorrhage on January 10, 1955. During her funeral Mass, Washington's Archbishop Patrick O'Boyle said, Miss Mary Merrick's long life was an inspiring expression of the power and beauty of Christian charity. She saw the image of the infant Savior in every poor child, and it was the Christ child who conferred upon her a long life of amazingly successful activity that defied an almost lifelong infirmity. It was inevitable that she established the Christ Child Society— both in spirit and accomplishment, no society has better deserved that sublime name. Miss Merrick, from her bed of pain, perpetually dynamic and devoted, has a lesson for everyone who professes to be a follower of Christ. And John McNamara, Auxiliary Bishop of Washington, said, The memory of this good woman is a treasure which all who esteem what is noble, what is inspiring, and what is good will value as a pearl of price. When you think of the happiness she brought to the hearts and homes of the children of the poor, of the opportunities for doing good she provided for those who would share her labors, when you reflect on the obstacles she overcame while she labored throughout the past 50 years of her life braced in hoops of iron, and when you recall that throughout these years she directed the Christ Child Society in the founding of chapters, in the erection of buildings, and in the establishment of camps, you will find yourself face to face with a woman, the like whom is seldom met in this our mortal life. She took her cross and out of it fashioned a bridge over which she and others could walk on their way to God. That's about as good a summation as can be for the life of Mary Virginia Merrick. But it's not the last word. In 2003, her cause for canonization opened. So, God willing, one day, we'll all be able to call her St. Mary Virginia Merrick. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help others find it by sharing this episode and by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. We also ask you to support the many productions of SQPN at sqpn.com give. To learn more about Mary Virginia Merrick, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimages to important and unforgettable Catholic holy sites, please visit AmericanCatholicHistory.org. We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, 
or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SUPN. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. <laughs>